a few announcements. Uh, as you can see, uh, there are uh, depleted numbers here today, but we are open. And as far as we understand it, we'll take the best advice available and, of course, seek the Lord's counsel and wisdom. But as we understand it at the moment, we will continue with public worship all the way through the crisis. Christians are called to be leaders in a time like this. And leaders are called to take responsibility for their own lives and for the lives of others. And what greater responsibility could we possibly have than being people to whom God has committed his good news to? What greater responsibility could we have than being those who do not walk in fear, but walk in faith? What greater responsibility could we have in times like this that we are called to be bearers of good news? People are confronted by their mortality. We know the path to eternal life. And so in this time, we're going to continue to take responsibility for that calling. But we also recognize, of course, that there are some calls to wisdom and cautious and careful action. Some of the things that we've done as a church to reflect that are that we're, for the foreseeable future, not having children's work on a Sunday morning. All of the medical experts who've been advising us over the last few days, and of course we have in our number such people as the chief medical officer for Premier Health and various other senior medical people. The indication is that children are often asymptomatic. In other words, they show no indications that they have and are communicating the virus. And so therefore they are amplifiers of the virus. And so we clearly uh, wouldn't want to be uh, party to that. And so there won't be children's work, but there will be children's resources for house churches and for families who are feeling uh, isolated in the coming days and months. If you go to the Apex website, you'll notice there that a whole raft of new resources will be available. It just so happens, and I'm using that word uh, in a way that obviously indicates that I don't think it just so happens. It's obviously the Lord's plan. It just so happens that I've been working with a team for the last three years. When I started with that team, I didn't even know that there was an Apex Church. I've been working with that team for the last three years to build an online asynchronous training platform for discipling leaders. And we finished it this week, uh, the week when the pandemic was announced. And so we have attached that to the Apex website, which means that not only this message this morning, but many, many subsequent messages that we'll be giving through the week and on Sundays will not only be available uh, both in audio and video form, but you'll be able to interact with your house church shepherds, your elders, your staff and leaders, and with your Christian friends as you think through, pray through, and consider what it is that God is saying to you through the messages 
and through the circumstances that we face. So, we as a community are seeking God to help us resource in the best possible way uh, every part of the network that is Apex and beyond. Alongside that, there will, of course, be a daily and beyond that, of course, an hourly prayer text availability. Take this number down. It's um, 937-365-9937. That's 937-365-9937. If you didn't get that number, it'll be available again on the website. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, prayers for you, for your family, for your neighborhood, then please send those texts in. Sue McCoy, the head of care ministries here at Apex, will be helping the, 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 the prayer teams to get hold of those, those, uh, those prayer requests, and we will be really going after them in prayer and in faith. Of course, the church will continue to be working throughout this crisis, and one of the ways that we're privileged to partner in these coming days is to work with Chris Horlocker down here with Shoes for the Shoeless, who will be looking for ways in which we can support the children who, within our wider community, are going to really be struggling to have proper food during the time that they're excluded from schools. There are literally thousands of children in our wider community who will be at risk during this time. And uh, we'll be working with Chris very closely, staff and members of the congregation. Uh, Again, uh, without being in any way in human bravado, but in genuine faith, seeking out these vulnerable children to provide them with the food that they need during this time. Many of those children will be home alone. Others will be uh, unable to get to the feeding uh, locations because they're disabled or because uh, of other complications. So we're really going to uh, step in there. And there'll be other ways in which we will, as a community, be seeking to uh, respond to the crisis as it unfolds. On the website, you will see a card that you'll be able to print from the website that we would recommend that you send to your neighbors, either that card or just jot down what it says on that card and put it into the letterboxes of your neighbors. And really what we're saying on that card is this. If there are those who are shut in and isolated by this crisis and they need help, they maybe need someone to go and get food or uh, perhaps medications for them, that we will help them. In this time, it's vital that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, as the representatives of Jesus, find ways not to isolate, but to connect. And so we'll continue to do that in the coming weeks. There are not many other things to say. Uh, Most of the meetings uh, here at Apex will be uh, cancelled for obvious reasons. Uh, but there are a couple of meetings where we're not able to, to contact the people who would normally be coming along. And one example of that is the Alpha course that will be running on Tuesday evenings. 
The idea of the Alpha Course is that we're not taking people's emails and making them feel as though there's some kind of bait and switch thing going on to get them to be part of the church. We want them to be free to engage in Christian conversation without feeling like they're going to be put pressure on or manipulated in any way. And so we've genuinely given them freedom from that. But of course, the problem about that is that we can't tell them what's going on as far as Alpha is concerned. So uh, Alpha will be available on Tuesday, and uh, it's good that we have that opportunity to share the gospel together. Please look to the website for other uh, important pieces of information. Finally, the prayer meeting will continue, and we hope will be extended. We will be meeting at 8.30 every day. Uh, we'll probably be meeting in the theater so that we've got a bit more space uh, to be able to uh, operate. And um, we'll be praying every day. And if this is not a time for us to be available to pray, then I can't think of a time uh, when we really could identify a time to pray. So if you're available and are able to come at 8.30 in the morning, then do. And in your house churches and uh, in your families, our encouragement is this. Continue to pray and expect God to do remarkable things. Pray and fast and ask God to turn back this crisis, to turn back this plague, to turn back this disease and to save our nation and to save the nations of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we are conscious of our responsibility at this time. Lord, we don't want to default to survival. We want to default to faith and action. Lord, we, want, we don't want to hide away. We want to be wise in all things, considerate of our neighbors, but committed to sharing the compassion of Jesus and the good news that there is a life beyond the one that we're living. Lord, we pray that you would so fill our hearts with faith at this time that we would be known as the people whom the crisis did not touch. And we pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. It's really interesting the way that the Lord works. Um, a few months ago, I sat down with the Sunday Bible study people to say, okay, let's work out what the messages are going to be, because obviously the Bible study was to mirror or match the passage that we were going to be preaching on on that Sunday. And so this, it's weeks and weeks and weeks ago that we, that we looked at this, and it just so happens, and again, just so happens, that today's passage is Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. The healing of the crippled woman on a Sabbath. Let me read this to you and see what the Lord will say to us today. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. 
Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So here we have fairly familiar circumstances, the kinds of circumstances that we've seen time and time again in the gospel. Jesus is about the work of the kingdom. Jesus is revealing what the future will be like. And he is bringing the future into the present as his life articulates the prayer that he has taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is living out, articulating with his actions what his words have taught his disciples to pray. And here he is again in the formal setting of a synagogue. It's always fascinating to me that Jesus didn't abandon public worship when it would have been quite easy for him, this great revolutionary movement leader with thousands following him and hanging on his every word. It's interesting to me that he did not abandon public worship or the institution of public worship. There was Jesus on the Sabbath in worship and in worship on that day, there was a woman bowed down, bent over by a spirit who had attacked and oppressed her for 18, as Jesus puts it, 18 long years. What is the impulse in the heart of Jesus that causes him to see the woman and not be conscious of the crowd? What is it that causes Jesus to be prepared to live with the disdain of others and focus on an alienated and poor woman in their midst? What was it in Jesus that caused him to see the work of Satan in a single individual and challenge the work of the flesh in the leaders of this gathering? I think there's a single word, and it's mercy. The mercy of Jesus. How merciful he is. And how much he longs to extend his mercy. Here's a woman who has had no mercy and is unlikely to receive any mercy given the response of the synagogue leaders. Here is a woman who has struggled with a terrible oppression. She's been bent over 
She's incapable of having a normal life. And into her circumstances that seem impossible, Jesus extends mercy. You know, one of the things that I've been most surprised about in the last years that I've been walking as a Christian is how merciless Christians are towards one another. It's amazing how uh, when a, a mistake is made, an error in judgment, perhaps uh, maybe even there is a disagreement in theology or in a preference in relation to, in, in relation to the reading of the scriptures. It's amazing to me how merciless we are towards one another. It wouldn't take more than just a few minutes to have a look around on social media today to see the lack of mercy so often displayed by those who carry the name of Christian. Jesus was unerringly merciful. Jesus was constantly extending mercy to those around him. And that mercy is something that has touched our hearts. He's touched our hearts whether we know him personally or not because his mercy is new every morning. And he causes his reigns to come upon the righteous and the unrighteous. God's mercy extends to us even to this day and we can call on his mercy in this time and in the circumstances that we face. You see people all around the world desperate and afraid. What would they need? Well, of course, they'll need a courageous model of faith-filled, faith-filled Christians. Of course, they'll need that. But often they'll just need mercy. They'll just need someone who offers kindness, who offers a tender response, who recognizes the fear that they hold in their hearts and the anxiety that besets them daily, that stalks the chambers of their hearts. Someone who is struggling at this time to make sense of it all. Yes, of course, they'll need wisdom and guidance and insight and revelation but they'll need mercy. They'll need mercy as well. Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of mercy. The leader of the synagogue and those around him that, that subscribed to his views, of course, had a hidden agenda. Their hidden agenda is not always obvious, but we know that there's a hidden agenda because Jesus uses the word hypocrite. Often, we use the word hypocrite to describe a person who is inconsistent in their views. In other words, they say one thing over here, and then they say another thing over here, and that inconsistency we often style or brand as hypocrisy. The word, however, in its original form, and the way in which Jesus uses it is quite different. 
As a young boy, Jesus was raised in the home of Joseph and Mary. And Joseph was, we describe him as a carpenter. He was a home builder, house builder. That's really what what the word means. Uh, We've translated it into carpenter and imagine that Jesus is making tables and chairs. But but actually he's a he's a person who's building homes. And the great building project, the great civil project of the day, as Jesus was growing to maturity in the town of Nazareth, was just up the road in the in the newly designed and rapidly built local capital. This um this amazing city of, of, of Zephyrus was really the marvel of, of the world in that area at the time. Its mosaics that you can still see today are some of the greatest uh, mosaic art that you can find anywhere in the world. The noble buildings that were constructed are of a remarkable quality and almost all of them were built during the time when Jesus was learning to be a builder in the home of Joseph. It's inconceivable that Jesus was not involved in that great building project, walking with his father down that dusty road to that building site every day. And one of the great things that was built by people like Joseph and Jesus was the theatre in that city. And as the theatre was established, of course, it was a theatre that would be used for public performances of all kinds. But the thing that is most evident about the theatre of the day is that the actors wore masks. And even to this day, sometimes when we we look at the branding of, of theatrical institutions, they'll have the smiling and the scowling mask. Those masks were the masks that were the common features of the Greek and Roman theatre, the theatre that probably, isn't this incredible, that probably Jesus and Joseph constructed. And the masks are called Hypocrites. The mask is the hypocrite. The one who carries the mask is the personification of the hypocrite. In other words, there is something hidden below the public surface of the hypocrites that Jesus is encountering. What was it? Well, we could speculate that perhaps they were envious. We know that on other occasions, that's something that's clear in the text, that people were envious of Jesus and the following that he had. It could be that they were upset that their own authority was being undermined. Here's a a leader of the synagogue who has had his authority undermined by Jesus not, not asking first whether he can heal the woman. It could be for all kinds of reasons that a person's nose is put out of joint, 
But because their nose, having been put out of joint, is hidden behind a mask, we don't know it. Jesus is always remarkably consistent about people who wear masks. He really doesn't like it. He really wants us to put the masks away and be who we are, whatever we might be. And what response will we get if we function as people who remove the masks? We'll receive mercy. And when we trust that, of course, we can put the masks away. But Jesus uses a particular kind of argument, and I want to make sure that we look at this before we finish today with some healing prayer. Because, of course, if this is the passage for the day, then this is the agenda for the day. And so we'll be praying for healing for all kinds of conditions today, physical and emotional and spiritual conditions, and be ready both to pray for others and to be prayed for. But just notice how it is that Jesus addresses the hypocrite. He says this in verse 15, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? From what bound her. Now, what's, what's interesting about this is that Jesus regularly uses this kind of argument. And technically, it's called an a fortiori argument. An a fortiori. Now, you didn't know that you're going to come to church today and learn some Latin. I'm not very good at Latin. But a fortiori, just turn to your neighbor and say, a fortiori. So the, so the kind of argument that Jesus is using is called an a fortiori argument. And, and basically what it is is this. You establish the reasonableness of your argument on the basis of a recognized argument that has already been established. Also, in recognizing that there's an argument that's already been established, a truth that's already been established, and that you're now going to apply it to a new area, you very often take it from a lesser environment to a greater environment. So you could do something like this. You could say, because two plus two always equals four, I have to keep on remembering that this camera doesn't follow me. You might have noticed that I'm slightly more restricted in my movements today. Because 2 plus 2 always equals 4, 200 plus 200 always equals 400. So there's a, there's a pre-established argument that everybody agrees that is a, a lesser category and a lesser reality. And you take that and apply it to something else. And this is what Jesus does over and over again, it's a, it's a familiar rabbinical tool that not only Jesus but other rabbis would use at the time. But Jesus refers to it time and time again. Let's look at a couple of examples. If you turn back to 
Luke chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus has just completed a reiteration of his teaching on prayer. You'll remember in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's given the first articulation of the disciples' prayer, as it probably ought to be called. We call it the Lord's Prayer, where he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And then on this other occasion, he's praying, he's praying out loud, and the disciples hear him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus thinks, well, I think I probably did do a little while back, but okay, I'll do it one more time. And so he summarizes the teaching right there at the beginning of chapter 11. And then he says this in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's an a fortiori argument. There's no no parent. It's guys who are asking him the question, so he's talking to guys. But there's no parent whose child asks for food will deliberately give them a venomous snake. There's there's nobody that's going to do that. And And he says, and if your instincts, beset as they are by the influence of evil, beset as they are by the realities of your fallen nature, if you, though you are evil, are able to do those good things for your children, will not the greater be also true that your heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him. Let's look again. There's another great example. There's many examples in Scripture. But if you, if you stay in Luke, and it seems appropriate that we stay in Luke for a little while, if you stay in Luke and go to Luke chapter 18, there's another great example. Here in chapter 18, is the parable of the unjust judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. That's what it says in verse 2. And there was a widow who kept on coming to him, Jesus said. And then in verse 16, it says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see to it that they get justice and quickly. The woman goes to the judge day after day and the judge continuously puts her off. But because of her, in the old version, I love the word, mostly because I like words, because of her importunity, because of her her constant and barefaced boldness, he gives her justice, not because he fears God or cares about people, but just because she just keeps on coming. If that's the way an unjust judge operates, then will not your heavenly Father operate with mercy and justice and kindness 
And of course, what Jesus is saying here is not so much about how we should expect good things in prayer, which of course is the teaching of Luke 11, but that we should continue to persist in prayer when we don't get an answer that we're looking for in the early stages of that prayer. We should keep on praying because our expectation and our understanding of God is that he wants to give us the good things and for mysteries that are beyond our capacity to understand, they may well not be coming to us right now, but it's in our persistence that we demonstrate our faith in a loving and just God. This a fortiori argument is enormously important because as we come this week to pray for the sick, the way that I always counsel people to pray, and it's helped thousands of people down through the years, not only to pray, but to be successful in their prayers and seeing the sick healed and the oppressed delivered and liberated. What I always counsel people to do is to begin with this statement of truth. My Father in heaven wants me well. My Father in heaven wants me well. And how do I know that? I know that because when I look at the life of Jesus, who perfectly expresses the will of the Father, Jesus always heals the sick. People point to places where Jesus seems to indicate that some people have been waiting for their healing because it's God's sovereignty at work, like in, in John chapter 9 when he's healing the blind man. But they sometimes forget that actually Jesus heals that man. There's never a person who comes to Jesus who asks for healing who does not get healed. Now, as we wrestle in living between this world and the next, in living between this age and the age to come, of course, we will not always see the things that we look for and long for immediately, but we will see them eventually. And how do I know that? Because it's absolutely clear in Scripture that in heaven there is no sickness. And so we're all going to get healed one day. There is a day of healing for each of us. And what we're praying according to the teaching and the counsel of Jesus is that our knowledge of the future, which is incontrovertible, there is nowhere in Scripture that indicates that heaven is anything other than a place of blessedness and wholeness and healing. We pray for that future reality to be revealed in the present now. And the way that you are able to do that with faith is that you completely recognize and understand that the will of the Father is that you are well. The will of the Father is that you're well. It is your destination. There is a day when every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sickness or sadness. Satan will be 
completely defeated and sin will no longer mark the behavior of human beings. That day is a day that is coming closer. But we pray for the realities of that day to visit us in the present. And what are they supposed to do? Well, of course, they're supposed to express his mercy. They're supposed to express his kindness. But probably more than all of these things, they're supposed to give us a window into the future that is certain for us. Every time that God does a miracle, he opens a window to heaven so that we can see our destination. Every time that God heals the sick, he opens a window into heaven so that we can see where it is that we've been called. Every day that God steps in and meets our needs as he provides for us, as he protects us, that moment, that miracle, is God opening a window into the future and it is for the joy that is set before us as we imitate the life of Jesus that we go through the difficulties of the present day. We know what the future is and we pray for the future to come. And so I have no doubt that every time I pray for somebody, the Father wants this person well. I don't know when, but that's not my problem. I'm not God. My only task is to pray with the full expectation that my Father wants this person well. And I'm praying, as Jesus taught us all to pray, that his kingdom, his will revealed in heaven will visit us here right now. So there's my counsel, there's my experience over the years and who knows how many thousands of people have seen healing. One particular person, uh, the mother of uh, one of uh, the kind of most senior members of my team down through the years, a man called Paul McConaughey, his mother had a terrible condition where all of the cells of her body were hardening. And it meant that her vital organs were slowly but surely shutting down. And every medical professional that she spoke to said that there was no hope and that the most that they could offer was some kind of palliative care as she lived with the prospect of a certain and painful death. I didn't know that she was the mother of my friend because I'd never met her. And as I was praying at this particular meeting, the Lord gave me insight about this particular condition. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't certainly know the name of it, and I can't remember the name of it now. It's a very complicated, long name. And um, I just said, is there, anybody, is there anybody here with this kind of a condition? And she came forward and was healed instantly and miraculously and completely and has never seen a day when that condition came back again. The Lord is able to do amazing things. And for some incredible reason, you know, people ask me, well, why don't we always see people healed? I don't know. I don't know. 
And honestly, that really is the best biblical answer I can offer. I don't know. But here is, for me, a mystery that is of equal significance and yet is quite clearly something for us to wrestle with. God actually invites us to pray. Imagine that. The king of the universe wants us to partner with him in the good things that he wants to do. That God wants us to, as it were, embrace our original calling of being his regents in creation, his co-workers in creation, his partners in all things, so that as we pray, we reflect his will, his revealed will. We don't have to work out his will for for human beings. He's always merciful. He's always gracious. He's always longing that we're saved. He's always looking for the transformation of our lives. As we pray in particular because we know the truth in general about his character and his disposition towards us, we're partnering with him. It's a mystery to me that God would ever want to do that. Why bother? And yet, and yet he does. He wants us to partner with him. I can't think of a greater privilege this side of glory that God would want us to be a co-worker with Christ, as it says in Romans 8, and partners with him in the goodness that he wants to express to the people around us. Everybody you meet in the coming days will be faced with a much greater sense of their mortality. Everybody you meet will be faced with a much greater sense of their own fragility and frailty. Everyone you meet is a person who needs you to partner with the Lord and be his co-worker, extending his mercy, revealing his grace, and doing his works, the works of the kingdom. I assume that there are some people who believe that who are in the room. Okay, so let's do this. If you would like a prayer for any condition, physical, emotional, or spiritual, uh, we'd love to pray with you. Um, we're not going to identify particular conditions today. We're just going to pray. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, um, and we're going to continue to use the wisdom of social distancing, then, um, then just stand where you are. And um, if, uh, if you sense that you'd really like someone to kind of lay hands on you, we'll do it appropriately, of course, as always, uh, then just come forward and uh, we'll do that as well. So let's, uh, let's uh, just move right into that right now. We don't need to go any further uh, with our message. If you'd like someone to pray with you, then either come forward or stand right where you are. And if you're going to stand right where you are, uh, then the people around you will extend their hands towards you and pray for you in a way that's appropriate. Let's, uh, if you've got people near you, then make sure they can hear you praying for them because silent prayers 
though they work, don't particularly encourage the people for whom you're praying. So do pray and do pray out loud. There's a few people up there in the nosebleed sections uh, who need, need, need prayer. Chris is going to uh, lead out with some worship music. Just gather around them. Extend a hand towards them. You don't even have to touch them. This, this young man over here, he needs some people around him. Some, maybe get a bit closer because he won't be able to hear you pray from down here. And this lady back here, she needs someone to pray with her. That's it. Extend a hand towards her. And make sure you can be heard when you pray for them. We'll be praying for the folks here at the front. We'll be calling on the mercy.